1: You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, I'm Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. You can subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, on Google Play, on iTunes, wherever you find podcasts, you'll find Locked on Packers, the number one Packers podcast in the state of Wisconsin, and the show for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. America's guest, Jason Hershorn on the podcast today to talk about the Packers' off-season plans, filling the holes in Matt LaFleur's team for Matt LaFleur's offense in particular. That's what we're going to focus on in our discussion today. A little bit of Antonio Brown, a little bit of Odell Beckham Jr., some potential guard options, and really a 30,000-foot view of the offseason. And it's a, it serves as a primer. This is the combine week. Things are going to get underway in just a few days. Uh, Matt LaFleur is giving a press conference, potentially as we speak, right this minute. He could be talking, and I I think those are always important opportunities for us to check in with the head coach, Uh, especially a new head coach. You know, Maybe Mike McCarthy wouldn't say anything of interest. We don't know anything about Matt LaFleur and how he's going to want to draft, how he's going to want to build this team. We only know this front office. In the context of Mike McCarthy. And we have no idea how that's going to alter the paradigm of this draft process. And I think that is fascinating. It is something that has not been discussed. I haven't heard it brought up at all. For years, Ted Thompson and Mike McCarthy worked together. The coaches did, for all the, for all the, Worrying about Mike McCarthy and Ted Thompson not being on the same page about the the philosophy of building this team. They did after the, the front office watched the film. The coaches got to the players. They watched the film as well. They had input. They have say in the process. And uh, we would hear after the draft, this is what we wanted to do. This was the idea. Mike McCarthy last year talked about the the notion of getting bigger and, and getting faster at receiver and creating those those mismatch option players. That was a McCarthy tenet, not necessarily a Brian Gutekind's tenet. The front office is going to draft the best players that they think they can get, but it's going to be based in part on prescriptions from the coaches. So we only got a glimpse of Mike Patton's philosophy. Mike Patton clearly, or at least apparently, does not care about height because the Packers went outside their normal requirements for height to draft Jair Alexander, and so maybe that is a harbinger of things to come for Mike Patton. Maybe he is more willing to break the mold on specific kinds of playmakers. Now Alexander and Josh Jackson were ball hawks, and maybe that was the reason that Brian Gutekunst decided to to break with their traditions there, but. For whatever those reasons are, Mike Patton is going to have a different idea of how he wants his defensive personnel than Dom Capers. We only got a brief, a very brief glimpse at what that meant for defenders. Now, they, they drafted three defenders at the top of the draft last year, two cornerbacks and a cover linebacker. That speaks to how Mike Patton wants to play. It's a reflection, a direct reflection of how he did play in 2018. So any any discussion about oh well if he had, you know, another linebacker who could have played, he would have played him more no. No. He was playing 3 safety nickel looks before it was in vogue to play 3 safety nickel looks. He was loading the field with cover players before it was cool to load the field with cover players. So what he wants to do Spoiler alert is low the field of cover players. He prioritizes that over everything else. What are his preferences on edge rushers? We don't know. They didn't take anyone of consequence last year. What are his preferences on the defensive line? We we can look back at at some of the drafts in New York or maybe in Cleveland and and try and get some information there. But there is going to be a marriage of what Mike Patton wants and what Brian Gudikins wants. There is going to be a marriage of what Matt LaFleur wants in his scheme. The players necessarily have to change because they're going to be asked to do, importantly, different things. To just say, oh, well, just pick the best players. That is fine in a vacuum, but there is a nuance that 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 sentiment is missing, and that is the best players for this Team. The best players for this team may not be the best players for the other team, for the next team, for the team down the road. You have to, when you're the front office in Green Bay, as, as a media person, I don't have the luxury of evaluating players for specific teams. Now, I can look at them for the Packers and say this is what their value to the Packers would be, I think. But generally, I'm evaluating players when we're talking about my evaluations of these guys in a vacuum. Just what what are they as a quality of player overall? Green Bay has to look at it and say, this is what they can do for us. This idea of where does he win? Don't tell me what he can't do. Tell me what he can do. Well, specifically, what can he do for this team? If you're in that front office, you have to say, what can he do for us? We don't know the answer when it comes to Matt LaFleur because he has never been... Empowered to make those decisions. We can think that maybe he had some input last year in Tennessee. Uh, maybe he had some input in getting Deion Lewis. Maybe that is uh, another harbinger of things to come. Maybe that is leading up to the Packers getting a pass-catching running back, a, a more of a, a scat-back type guy. Maybe it is leading up to them getting a power back with Derrick Henry, though Derrick Henry was already there. Uh, these are these are questions we don't have answers to, and maybe we'll get some of them when Matt LaFleur speaks at the podium. I wouldn't hold my breath. He's not going to give you a lot of insight, I don't think, in terms of the draft strategy, but he may say, look, these are the kind of players that that we think we need. These are the kind of players we think fit our system, and that could give us important information. Tomorrow, when hopefully we have John Ledyard on from uh, the Draft Network and Locked On NFL Draft, schedules permitting, uh, we can have some of those discussions based on what Matt Lafleur said today. If John can't come on, we'll just have a, a deeper discussion. Hopefully, Coach says some things that that we can
0: use that we can talk about and and we can dig in a little bit. David Harrison here, the Locked On Washington Football Team podcast, celebrating with you a twenty one grain salute to a less boring sandwich, thanks to Dave's killer bread. I don't know about you guys, but when I eat pizza, I eat it for the toppings Good. Dave's Killer Bread is made with the highest quality organic and non-GMO ingredients and is power-packed with whole grains, fiber, and protein. Visit Dave'sKillerBread.com to learn more and look for Dave's Killer Bread in the bread aisle of your local grocery store.
2: Hey, listen up, FanDuel Fantasy players. Your day is about to get 20% better.
1: All right, let's get to Jason. You know him. You love him. He is America's guest. Uh, You can follow him on Twitter at buy underscore JBH. Find his writing all across the internet, NFL.com, AcmePackingCompany.com. He is everywhere. Jason, thank you for coming back on Locked on Packers. And I just want to let you know everyone who has been on that microphone across from me since you have been last on has just been keeping the mic hot for you. So it's good to have you back.
3: I, I don't really know how to respond to that. I was not prepared for
1: even a weird hot mic conversation. Usually those <laughs> don't go very well. Well we got a hot mic. Now we now we're gonna devolve into a Will Farrell conversation and let's not do that. Uh let's start with uh Matt LaFleur because that is a topic uh that is the topic really of this offseason for the Green Bay Packers. Uh, Despite the fact that we're going to have to meander into free agency and the NFL draft uh, in the upcoming months. But I want to I want to take your temperature uh, at this point in the offseason. Just sort of before we we dive into some specifics here on on you've had some time to marinate now in this idea of Matt LaFleur as the next Packers coach. It was not the first choice for either you or I. So uh, or me, if you're speaking grammatically correct. Uh, where, where are you at this point in, in late February on the Matt floor hiring?
3: Well, we know essentially what his staff is going to be for not even just this year. I, I don't assume that we're going to see a whole lot of turnover between years one and year two. And if, if there is a lot of turnover, it probably reflects on either season going very, very, very well, or particularly poorly. So at this stage, we kind of feel like the next two seasons are set, both in terms of what the coaching staff is going to be. And, and to a certain degree, what that roster is going to look like. And we can then start making projections based off of that. Matt LaFleur is obviously very inexperienced. That's part of the reason that you and I didn't have him as a high priority target for Green Bay or anyone else during this last coaching cycle. But we can see the ways that this roster would fit the things that we expect him to do in Green Bay. And we also see the ways in which this roster maybe isn't ready to fulfill his schematic plans and i think that's really the core of any conversation with Matt LaFleur especially as we approach the combine free agency and then not that long thereafter the draft
1: so as you look at this roster and and with the understanding of you know if we can if we can assume projecting forward and this was part of our discussion with Ted Wynn yesterday that he's going to bring those schematic concepts from Tennessee he's going to borrow from Kyle Shanahan a little from Matt LaFleur and th- we th- we think we have some idea of what this offense is going to look like. Where are the places on this roster Green Bay either needs to fortify or add or maybe cut uh, in order to maximize uh, this-, this scheme that Matt LaFleur is bringing to the team? Well, to a
3: certain degree, your listeners have heard a lot of this before. They need to reinforce the interior of that offensive line. They need to bring in at least one meaningful tight end, whether that's through free agency or, or frankly, more likely the draft, given the quality of that tight end rookie class. And they probably, if this offense is going to be closer to Kyle Shanahan's version of the scheme, as opposed to uh, Sean McFay's, then they probably need to figure out what they're going to do with that backfield rotation. Because it one, will probably not be just a single halfback carrying the load. And the fullback is going to have a meaningful role, which certainly has been the case in Green Bay for a long time. Obviously, John Kuhn spent seemingly a thousand years as the starting fullback for the Packers, but they didn't have a fullback on the start of the roster last year. They added Dan Vitale late in the season. He is going to return, we think. I believe he's technically a free agent, but we assume that he's going to return, at least for the 90-man roster in 2019. But are they going to add to that? Who are they going to bring in for competition? Those are the big questions, at least on offense for Matt LaFleur.
1: And, and that leads us to some some pretty interesting conversations when it comes to the players that are available because um, just this week and in the last few days, it, it's become clear that that Josh Sitton is not going to be back in Miami. There have been uh, talk for a long time that, that TJ Lang is not going to be back in Detroit. Those are two names that Packer fans are going to be familiar with in terms of solidifying that right guard position is that something that you could see the packers doing is that something the packers should consider doing is is you know bringing bring one or both of those guys back i think both of them are reasonable
3: fallback positions but they are fallback positions i don't think that's the way they should approach it when free agency opens josh sitton was one of if not the best guard in the nfl during his prime in green bay he is also going to be 33 He's someone who had chronic back issues even during his time with the Packers, and has certainly had some injury issues since then. He missed essentially all of 2018 with a torn rotator cuff. He had some injury issues when he was with Chicago. This is not a guy who I think you can necessarily bring in and expect is going to play 16 games and is certainly not going to play at the level that we last saw Josh Sitton in Green Bay. But he is someone who can be a massive improvement over what they had at right guard, or if they end up moving Lane Taylor to right guard to make room for Josh Sinn, whatever the situation may be, he would be an upgrade over Justin McCray, Byron Bell. He really would be like a plus version of the Jari Evans the Packers acquired in 2017. And again, if that's your fallback position, that is perfectly fine. He would be able to certainly pass block. That's still That remains his strength as an offensive lineman. But I do think it would affect the running game. At his best, he was a good run blocker. At this point in his career, I, I'm not sure that's something we would even be able to call average. It really depends on how that shoulder heals. But again, that, that's why it's a fallback position. TJ Lang is, is kind of the same discussion. He's a little younger, has had fewer injuries, but he also has missed more games. So, it, it, you know, it's, it's not exactly clear which one might be the, the safer proposition from an availability standpoint. They Lane. combined to Sir, play
1: seven games last year. That's not great. And neither has played 16 since leaving Green Bay.
3: Correct. And, and they both had issues during their final seasons with the Packers, which again, why these are fallback positions. But because the offensive line is so important, and obviously to every team, that there's no team for which their scheme makes the offensive line unimportant. But because the Packers are going to need to really get that running game going in order to make the play action as effective as possible. I do think that these are guys that they should look at, have contact with, and then pursue if guys like Quinton Spain aren't available, or if they're not serious about spaying an early pick on an offensive lineman they like in this draft, or whatever the situation may be. Th- these are guys who are going to be improvements from last year, and that's important, but they're not the best moves that the Packers can necessarily make at this at this time, which is why I think that they're secondary
1: options. Speaking of the best moves the Packers can make, there has been a lot more polarization uh among Packer fans about this idea of of trading for Antonio Brown than than I expected. Uh, I know you are someone who is very dubious that Brown is going to get traded at all, but from the the perspective of the Packers, is there a framework assuming we we think the Steelers are actually ever interested in actually making a deal? Uh, that makes sense for the Packers.
3: Well, for, first, let's start off with what well, you mentioned about my skepticism about Brown getting dealt. It's not that I don't think that he could. The Steelers have given themselves outs during the discussion, the public discussion of Antonio Brown's availability, which leads me to believe that they're they're serious about taking him back if, the, if they're able to make that work. And keep in mind, from a salary cap standpoint, dealing Brown makes no sense. They would gain technically a little bit of cap space, but considering they would have to bring someone in just to fill the spot, even if it's someone at the bottom of the run, of the receiver depth chart, it is a cap neutral move at best. And you're also losing the guy who's been the best receiver in the NFL over the course of the last half decade. So this is not a move that makes sense for football reasons or for cap reasons. And it's really hard to imagine when those situ- when that is a situation that that team, especially when it's a Steelers, one of the more stable organizations in the NFL, is going to deal him. But I think they're they're going to at least listen to offers. And because they've given themselves that out, I don't think that the Packers or any other team is going to be able to get Brown for like a fourth round pick or even like a third round pick. If that is the offer, then that totally changes things. Because even if you're going to have to sign him to a new deal, which is another part of this consideration, that is worth it. But because I think he's going to end up costing more, a real a premium draft pick and He's probably going to end up getting a new deal with a lot of guaranteed money. That's where I have concerns. It's not that I don't think Antonio Brown isn't a great receiver. He absolutely is. We don't need to litigate that, but he's going into his age 31 season and that tends to not be a very good situation for even the best receivers. If you, if you look at this historically since 2000, there have only been four receivers who made a first team all pro in their age 31 season or later. That is not a very good track record. And that includes names, by the way, like Randy Moss, never made an all-pro team after his age 30 season. So even though Antonio Brown has been incredibly dynamic and incredibly productive, and he would have arguably, I would say actually inarguably, the best quarterback of his career if he were to land in Green Bay, that doesn't necessarily mean that you are going to get peak Antonio Brown, but you might be paying for peak Antonio Brown. And from a, a resource allocation standpoint, That's problematic, which is why in the article I wrote for Acme Packing Company, I said that it's not that it's necessarily a bad idea to look into acquiring Brown, but if Odell Beckham Jr. is indeed available, which we haven't gotten a concrete report that he is, but there is a lot of smoke around what could be a fire, then maybe you, you actually use those resources and acquire Odell Beckham Jr., who may not be Antonio Brown at his peak, but is much, much younger is under contract through the exact duration that the Packers have Aaron Rodgers and would provide a very interesting tandem with Devontae Adams. Know Brown also would. I, I don't think that's untrue, but Beck, a lot of things that Beckham does extremely well are things that Adams doesn't necessarily do well, but doesn't do nearly as well. And you have more of a variety in terms of your top receivers. And again. I'm not sure it would cost all that much more to get Beckham if he is indeed available. So when you calculate all that in, also with the fact that Beckham, at least as far as we know, isn't looking for a new contract because he just signed one a year ago, I think that is just a more reasonable approach for Green Bay.
1: I haven't even really taken the time to do a lot of consideration on, on Odell Beckham. In fact, your piece is something that that made me think about it really for the first time in any sort of depth. And it, it, that just it makes so much more sense to me, given the age and, and everything and the athleticism, the the complementary nature of his game for Devontae Adams. Jay Glazer doesn't just make stuff up. Let's just say that like he he has people saying things to him. That he, I know he speculated he didn't report it, but this is one of those moves that newsbreakers and reporters make when they say, well, here's a thing I think could happen, and it's really just informed spec. It's it's, in, it's not speculation. It is informed opining, I guess, if you want to call it that.
3: Sure. And keep in mind, this isn't just Jay Glazer. That might have been the, sort of the first big note in the symphony, but Mike Sando, also someone very well connected in NFL circles, after hearing that that not report, that that thought, that article by Jake Laser, asked his contacts around the NFL. And even though no one said, Yes, we've heard that he's available, a lot of them apparently said, like, yes, we believe that he is going to be available if he isn't already. So this again is not just speculation within the media. This is speculation within the NFL itself. So Perhaps Beckham doesn't get traded. He's another guy who, because of the cap ramifications for the team that currently has him, I'm not sure it makes a ton of sense. And again, he's one of the best receivers in the NFL. You're never looking to get rid of those guys, especially when they're just hitting their prime. But if he is available, if the Giants are willing to make that move, and we've seen them do silly things in the past, then the Packers should seriously look into it. Because Odell Beckham and Devontae Adams, whoever you view as better irrelevant, would be the best one-two punch that the NFL has had in... I, I don't know how long has it been since we've seen a one, two punch that good.
1: I mean, I, I guess, wow. I mean, I, it's hard to, it's truly hard to imagine one.
3: I and mean, that, that's sort I think of the you
1: point. legitimately might have to go back to like rice Taylor.
3: It's, it's at least something that you don't dismiss out of hand. And that's kind of the point. You get these two really, really good receivers on contracts. I mean, Devontae Adams contract Became a bargain, honestly, the moment he signed it, simply because he could have just waited a matter of weeks and received a lot more money from the Packers or another team. Odell Beckham is getting paid more. It's, the, I believe, the biggest contract for a receiver presently, at least in terms of, I don't know if it's total value or average annual value, but it's one or the other. But the Packers don't get all of that contract if they require him because the signing bonus has already been paid out. There are roster bonuses later on, so some of the guarantee money is still there. But the contract that the Packers would essentially be inheriting is a lot more team-friendly. It gives them a lot of outs if Beckham were to suffer a significant injury or if they decide they need to allocate the resources in a different way. And that combination of contracts and that combination of talents in the offense that we think the Matt LaFleur is going to run and with Aaron Rodgers healthy could be not just dynamic by you know, Packers-Aaron Rodgers standards. There's a scenario where within a year or two, it's the best offense we've seen during the Rodgers era.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. I, 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 there are plenty of of duos that I'm, I'll probably forget. But the the other one that came to mind was Carter Moss. That that would have certainly been more recently. I'm sure there there are others. Holt Holt Bruce probably is in there. Uh, there, I'm sure- Holt Bruce is actually probably the right answer yeah. now that I'm thinking about it. But the fact that those it's
3: are the names already up there. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And, and look, it certainly could be the case with Antonio Brown too. I just feel like with all of the other considerations that you have to take into account with Brown and the risk with Brown that you don't necessarily have with Beckham, I'm not saying it's a bad idea. I just think it is a less sensible idea than going after Beckham if he's
1: available. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and from trades for, for players that we already know are good There is, uh, I think, a discussion worth having about trades in the draft because the quarterback discussion, not that Green Bay is going to trade for one, could potentially affect Green Bay in that they pick at 12 and there are two teams directly after them at 13 and 15 in Miami and Washington who could be interested in quarterbacks. And so I do think it's important for for Packer fans, for the Packers team, to be monitoring the value of these quarterbacks because the number of teams and the number of players considered in that range could give Green Bay the opportunity to to trade down. and, and, And that could be something worth exploring for the Packers if there are teams willing to make deals for quarterbacks.
3: You're absolutely right. And I'm glad you brought this up because there's some historical precedent that we need to take into account here, or rather a lack thereof we saw five quarterbacks go in 2018. It was one of only three times that has happened in the common draft era, and I believe in just the the draft era. There's usually a real dearth of first round quarterback selections in the year, and really the two years that follow that historically. And to put that into context, if even two quarterbacks go in the first round, not necessarily in front of the Packers' top pick, just in the first round entirely this year, it will mark the very first time in the common draft era that two or more quarterbacks are drafted a year after five or more were drafted. Now, I don't, I'm not here telling you that less than two quarterbacks will be drafted in the first round. I do think that we'll end up seeing two, at least two. But there's a discussion that upwards of four, maybe even five could slip into the first round. And that just seems insane to me. And keep in mind, it's not just who goes ahead of the Packers' top pick. I mean, they essentially have a pick at the very end of the first round too. The amount of quarterbacks that go in the first round are going to impact the way, not they just approach their top pick, the way they approach, frankly, all of their top picks. And we just don't really know. It, it would be without precedent if three, four, even five go in this first round, given how many went last year. And for those of us who, who have evaluated this rookie class, it would also seem really strange because Kyler Murray, if you're the, if you're the kind of team that can give him the infrastructure, both in terms of the personnel and the schematics to succeed, I don't have a problem with him going the first round. I think you can make a, a reasonable argument in a different way for Dwayne Haskins. Everybody else seems like a Josh Allen level roll of the dice. Not to say that they're all like Josh Allen as players, but that's the amount of risk you take on if you draft these guys in the first round. It could happen. We certainly have seen NFL teams do weirder things, but I, I do think we're overestimating the collective way. How many quarterbacks are really going to be taken in the first 32 picks and I, I don't know that we're necessarily going to see the Packers get the benefit of better players getting pushed down because teams are hungry for quarterbacks this year. It could happen, but we've never seen it happen like this before.
1: Yeah, and what's interesting is Tom Palacero the other day was was reporting that there are teams that have Drew Locke as the number one quarterback on their board and Daniel Jones, the number one quarterback on their board. And that, that suggests some high variance in how these quarterbacks are viewed. It could also suggest that there are going to be teams that that try and move up to get some of these guys. For the Packers, though, it really only just takes one team. It really just takes Miami or Washington to say, we'd like to move up to get that guy, in this case probably more likely Washington, to jump Miami. But it could be any team. There's always a mystery team that moves up for a quarterback that allows them to add picks, move down, and and that quarterback being taken at 12 would theoretically push down players that that Green Bay could be interested in drafting.
3: Yeah. And the best version of that for the Packers would be the Miami Dolphins trading up because it's one spot So the Packers essentially know that whoever they were going to take at 12 is going to be their pick at 13. They acquire additional draft capital, presumably draft capital to make the move. And the actual contract they eventually give to that rug, not that there's a whole lot of variance in that, but just another added bonus is going to be a little less than they would have given to that player at 12. So that's the best case scenario. Washington, there's there's a little more projection there because there are not just more picks between where the Packers are now selecting and where they would be selecting in that scenario, but there's also the possibility of more trades coming in. And, and that could be good for the Packers, could also be bad. Maybe someone that they thought was going to fall all the way to 15, if it is Washington, is no longer available. There, there are There's risk there. But they took that risk last year, essentially, when they traded out of the 14th pick mm-hmm. and still were able to maneuver to get Jair Alexander, the guy. who they wouldn't have taken at 14 if they had stayed, stayed there but clearly someone they were comfortable taking in the middle of the first round. So all of which to say the Packers are extremely well positioned if they want to have those negotiations. And again, if the quarterbacks are going to be valued reasonably high or unreasonably high, I guess, in my view, <laughs> then they they will be very, very well armed to play one team off against the other. Because as you put it, Miami and Washington, two teams that clearly – Need a quarterback and not even just for 2019 for the long term, and that kind of desperation has pushed better GMs into making worse decisions. But you know, what if Kyler Murray goes in the top five, and what if those teams aren't crazy about Dwayne Haskins or vice versa, or sure. whatever the situation may be? Maybe that market doesn't develop. And that's not ultimately the end of the world. That There are enough quality players that also happen to really work out well for what the Packers need that they could just stick at 12 and stick at 30, frankly, and still get two guys who can make immediate impacts. I think that's entirely possible as well.
1: Yeah, and for anyone that is dubious that a team would trade up one spot to secure a player, the Bears just did this with a much higher draft pick to get Mitch Trubisky. Teams are willing to get desperate to secure their quarterback and especially with Washington so close, it wouldn't be, I don't think, that difficult to try and convince Miami that Washington wanted to come up or another team wanted to come up. So give us something and and you know you can you can pick at twelve. Jason, let my listeners who should already be familiar with you, but we are we are growing. We always have new faces and and ears here at Locked On Packers, where they can find more of the work that you do.
3: Well, you can find most of my articles via my Twitter account, because I tweet them out. It's by underscore JBH. You can find my work directly on AcmePackingCompany.com, SBNation.com, NFL.com. I freelance in plenty of other spots as well. And I appear approximately five times a week on your podcast.
1: Terrific. Until tomorrow, then. Uh, Jason, thanks for coming on. Anytime, Peter. This episode is brought to you by Shell.
2: The one with a subscription that delivers new brush heads for just five dollars. Your teeth deserve this one. Philips One by Sonicare. One up your brushing. Learn more at philips.com/one. That's p h i l i p s dot com slash o n e.
1: All right, I want to thank Jason for uh, coming back on Locked On Packers. Uh, he won't be back tomorrow. Uh, Not really. It will only seem that way uh, maybe to him and and to some of my listeners, uh, but he is very appreciative. I know he is. He has told me um, that he is very appreciative of of the support that he has received from you, and that is meaningful to me because that means that you guys are, are cool. It means that you are supportive, and that is what this community is all about. Everyone that is part of the Lockdown Packers community is part of that community for a reason. You are all here. We are all here to strive toward a, a larger goal together, and that is a better knowledge of the Green Bay Packers. And so it, it really is great to hear that you guys have embraced Jason. I have long done that uh, a long time ago, and so it, it's always great to have him back on and, and have him share his insights with you hopefully we will have john ledyard on tomorrow Uh, if not it'll be a long matt lafleur discussion Uh, we got a good matt lafleur discussion on this show we'll get another one with some hopefully new information that we can provide and share uh, and and discuss and break down and, and really do you know if necessary a closed reading of all of that stuff. So we can do that tomorrow. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at PeterBukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Play. Wherever you find podcasts, you'll find Locked on Packers. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked on Packers fan hotline, you can do that 920 341 3775. So you can stay. Locked on back.